listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Hey listeners, before we get to today's interview, I want to tell you about an exciting development. Grief Out Loud recently partnered with BetterHelp. Have you heard of them? They provide online counseling and support with licensed counselors via video, phone call, real-time chat, and messaging. When BetterHelp reached out to us to ask if we wanted to partner, we thought, well, we better try it before we recommend it to you. So a few weeks ago, I signed up and got connected to a local counselor. It's been great. You know how when you try to find a counselor, especially in the before times, it took a lot of work? When you do finally connect with someone, you might have had to trek across town or even to a different town, navigating traffic and scheduling. With BetterHelp, I got connected in just a few days. The scheduling was super easy, and the commute just required me to walk across my house to a different room. If you're needing support and counseling, give BetterHelp a try. You can sign up using our specific Grief Out Loud link. It's betterhelp.com forward slash grief, and you'll get 10% off your first month. So once again, it's betterhelp.com forward slash grief. Okay, here's today's interview. Today's guest might be familiar to some of you. Kao Kalia Yang joined me, along with Shannon Gibney, back in episode 127, discussing What God is Honored Here, a collection of writings on miscarriage and infant loss by and for Indigenous women and women of color, a collection that they co-edited and both contributed to. Not long after the release of What God is Honored Here, Kao Kalia published a children's book called The Shared Room, which tells the story of a family grieving the death of their young daughter, Gia. It's a beautifully illustrated book that locates grief, the grief of Gia's parents and her two brothers, in both place and culture. Kalia is a Hmong American writer who brings her own experience with loss as a grieving mother and the grief of every woman in her family who has had a child die into the writing of The Shared Room. While it's a children's book, it speaks, as so many children's books do, to people of all ages. It's a book about loss, and it's also a book about family and memories and the ways that grief is carried both individually and collectively. The idea of representation is up in a lot of forums right now, and it's mostly being talked about in the realms of politics and power. But it's just as vital in the realm of grief, and particularly when it comes to the books, articles, images, and films that put forth narratives about what grief looks like. It was important to Calcalia to create a book with illustrations and a storyline that could reflect grief in the Hmong community. Knowing, of course, that grief is different for everyone, and that cultures don't exist as monoliths, but it's possible to provide markers of connection and familiarity that are missing in the mainstream, mostly white, mostly American representations of grief. Kalia, thank you so much for being on Grief Out Loud for the second time with me today. Thank you for having me, Jenna. It's a pleasure. So I know we're going to talk about your new book, The Shared Room, which is a children's book, and lots of different things to kind of cover from that. 
the writing of the book and how the book is being received. Could you start with telling us like, what was the inspiration for writing The Shared Room? The Shared Room began, you know, it isn't, um, it wasn't, it is not a book that I was thinking about writing, particularly in the realm of children's literature. But it began when a six-year-old girl drowned three years ago, right here in St. Paul, a little Hmong girl. I've met her several times. Her mom and dad are big um, supporters of my work. And so she would often accompany them to readings. At one such event, she looked up at me and she goes, you know what I want to be when I grow up? And I'm like, what do you want to be? She says, I want to be a writer. And I said, you do? And she goes, not just any writer. I want to be a writer like you. And those words stuck with me. Her mom took a photo of us. And so the photo will flow in and out of my consciousness. That summer, it was the first hot day. There was news that a little girl had drowned at Lake Elmo. And I thought, how sad. And then when the, the newspapers revealed who it was, I was, along with so many other people, just heartbroken. I witnessed the grieving of her mom and dad over social media. I went to her funeral. But I was looking consciously into finding literature for her younger brother and sisters, her older brother as well. I thought they needed, they needed something to reflect their pain. It was so clear to me that they were grieving and there was very little to be found. And so one day her mother puts up a Facebook post. She says that um, she asked the, her older brother, if he wanted a room of his own and he wanted to know whose room. She said, your sister's. He then said, where am I gonna sleep? She says, your sister's bed. He goes, where am I gonna put my clothes? She says, your sister's drawers. And then after six long months, he breaks down and he says, can I just have my sister back? And I thought, I could do this. This is like an anchoring scene in this, in this book. Um, but I would only do it with permission and with the blessings of her mom and dad. And so we began the process. I wrote up a draft and I contacted her mom and dad. We met at a coffee shop. You know, in the world of nonfiction writing, you don't generally give the subjects of your work this kind of, this kind of um, decision making. But, but it was so important to me because I was writing it for her brothers and sisters. You know, and now a, a year or two years and some after the fact, especially at the current moment that we live in, I know that you don't need to have been a child who's encountered loss and grief to need a book that teaches you what it is like inside closed doors, what that process is like for families, what it is like for communities. How did the family respond when you showed them the draft? So Sai, Gia's mom, she just started weeping. Jim, Gia's dad, he said, the hardest thing is that nobody has said her name. And when you wrote in your email, you said Gia. I knew we had to, we, we wanted to see you. We wanted to talk about her. We want to talk about her. And when we read this book, we, we didn't know what to expect. And then they both broke down and they said that their kids needed it. And not just our kids, but all of the school, all of the children that Gia went to school with. It was really moving. I, I wept with them. Well, yeah, to think about how the death of Gia affects so much more than her family and to have this book as a way for anyone who is connected to her. But as you mentioned too, any child who's experiencing some type of loss, whether it's from a sibling who died or a, another person in their life or other major changes and losses to have the experience reflected back to them, how powerful that can be. You know, 
we, we have no trouble celebrating happiness and joy and, and, and just celebrating life with children. We have a much harder task and a much more difficult time celebrating the fullness of life, this, uh, this underbelly of human experience, the grieving, the loss, the sorrow, the sadness. Um, in these conversations with our youngest, we don't have the vocabulary or the stories very much in this culture, particularly. And you brought your own experience of grief into this role of authoring this book about a child who has died and the, and the grief of her siblings and her parents as a grieving mother of having your baby Jules die. I'm wondering, how did your own experience and knowing of grief shape the writing? I wanted a book that would, that would speak to all of the loneliness, not only of my own experience, definitely that, but also all of the women in my life, Jana, have lost children, all my aunts, my grandmother. Um, my mother, you know, and, and so growing up, I've always heard this different timbre in a voice when they're talking about the ones who once were, are no longer here, the babies that begun the journey. And yet there was so few reminders in the world that we lived in. I wanted to bring that moment to it. There is a scene in the shared room where the mom and dad go into her room and they just don't want to get up. They're just done. And it is the voices of the other children calling that pull them forth out of that room, down those stairs again. You know, when I lost baby Jules, I remember going on this walk with my husband and stopping and thinking that I could slow my heart and die right there. Autumn was coming. The flowers that I loved were gone. There was no more reason to hold on. So that feeling is a feeling that I really understand and I feel very deeply. It's a feeling that I, that been communicated to me all my life from my mother, my grandmother, my many aunts, when they talk about their loved ones. One of my mom's older sisters, she said to me when I lost baby Jewel, she said, you know that the more time you have with them, the more you miss them. And I said, what? And she said to me, you know, I had a miscarriage and then I had a stillbirth. I lost a one-year-old and then I lost a two-year-old and then I lost a three-year-old. And do you know that for every day that we shared, every moment of joy, I felt it all. Three years of grieving, plus two, plus one, plus how many weeks? She says, the great part of my life is spent in grieving. And I just looked at her and I understood her wisdom and her truth. And I think that's something that I really wanted to communicate in this book, the truth of grief how it isn't so beautiful all the time, how it doesn't make everybody comfortable, how it is so individual all at once. I was really struck too by the, the very like tangible sensory anchors of grief. There's a scene where the father is sweeping up Gia's room and her hair collects on the, the broom and he pulls out the tendrils of hair and holds it in his hand and just made me think of, you know, sometimes grief gets talked about in this kind of abstract way of being devastating and overwhelming and painful, but that it can be these really intense, concrete ways that the grief uh, stands out to us. Absolutely. In my closet, I have one of my grandma's shirts that she wore often when she was alive. And now my grandma passed away in 2003. Even now when I open my closet and when I move close to the shirt, her smell comes wafting out 
You know, it's a smell of tiger balm and, and herbs. You know, it comes and it isn't my smell, but it's her smell. And every time I pause and I breathe it in, Jana, I breathe it in so deeply in a place where I want to store it forever, just in case the smell ever goes away. As a mother to also living children, I have three. You know, in the mornings when they leave for school and I walk down, I see those crumbs on the table, always those crumbs on the table. I meet the crumbs with this mixture of tenderness and gratitude. If baby jewels were here too, um, how much more crumbs would there be? <laughs> um, and, and so all these signs that they've been here, and that piece of them will always be here. You, you talked about how you wrote the book because you wanted people to have an experience that reflected what they were going through, to be able to read the story and say, yes, like this, I can relate to this story or this makes sense to me. And I think about how, you know, the, the literature on grief is limited. The, the literature on children's book on grief is very limited. And then when we start to look for children's books about grief that reflect racial and cultural and ethnic diversity, uh, it might just be your book. Like, I'm sure there's more out there, but it's a very, very small uh, a number of books. And I wonder, how would you describe the specific elements of grief and and the perspective of being Hmong and carrying that grief that that show up in the book? You know, as a writer, I know that we often find um, the, the very universal and the very specific. This is a very specific story of a family grieving. It's located on the east side of St. Paul, the place where I grew up, where I am raising my family. Of the book, The Shared Room, was illustrated, is illustrated by a Hmong illustrator. You know, we are launching into the world of children's book illustrations um, a Hmong illustrator, which is very exciting. There are so few of those. But C. Writer, the illustrator, is also from the east side of St. Paul. She's also a mother. These things are important to me. What drew me to her art initially when I saw on social media uh, was, was how incredibly Hmong the characters looked and how they felt and how they lived. I wanted that to be reflected in this book for Jenna and her siblings. I wanted them to see, oh yeah, it's like our house. It's like our family. That was really important. As a kid who grew up at a time when there was so few, when there was nothing about Hmongness, I remember my immense loneliness, you know? And I also remember the moments where I felt joy, when I felt understood in these other books, beautifully written about different families. So I knew that there was a universality that I could reach for in the very specifics. At the same time, I wanted to represent a diverse family grieving. My husband said when he saw the book for, for the very first time, he said, oh, the, the way the mother is sitting right there, all of your aunts and your mom, you all sit like that when you're sick or, or, or when you're sad. And I'm like, this is true. <laughs> this is true. And, and, you know, my husband is a white guy. But the fact that he immediately said, oh, that's a long posture you know, the way she's sitting with her hand, you know, her head on her hand. Um, that was really important to me to get right. And I knew C writer could do it. And I also just wanted to do justice to side Jim and their family. What type of responses are you receiving from folks who have read the book or been part of any of the, the book launch conversations that you've had about the shared room? I was on 
Amazon um, the other day. It's never a great idea to read reviews of your books, but it's also a very tantalizing idea when you're up at 12.30 a.m. And so I was on and there was this, uh, it was obvious to me there was a Hmong man, he reviewed it. He said, Hmong, Hmong people are history. We've had so many tragedies affiliated with bodies of water. And I know exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about the crossing of the Mekong River when so many Hmong people died because we could not swim. He was talking about the Yangtze River when we were running from enslavement in the lowlands of China to the high mountains of Laos and how many people died on that crossing. You know, in the Hmong cosmology, we're afraid of the dragon, the water dragons. If you're beautiful, then they'll try to marry you. If you're really smart, then they'll want your intelligence. If you're really kind, then they'll really want your goodness. In the case of the shared room, the dragon is very much the drowning and the death of this little girl, every parent's worst nightmare. But he said that he got the book because his daughter loved my first book, A Map Into the World. So he was thinking, here's a Hmong author who's female, she's writing, my daughter needs this book. And he said the moment he picked it up, the moment he read it, he knew that it was for his son. Because he said that it was a young boy trying to be strong for his family. And it was a young boy falling apart before his family. That the book in that way was granting permission where permission was needed. I think it took a, it took a Hmong male perspective to share that reading of the book. You know, I was thinking particularly about Jia's brother and, and their relationship. But of course it is true. In the culture that we live in, how many of our boys have permission, feel the permission to grieve, to cry openly and vulnerably? to ask the questions in their hearts, not just in their minds. Another person said that when, when she read the book, she understood the silence in her home growing up. She never knew why there was this quietness. And then she heard me read from the shared room. She ordered a copy and read it. And all of a sudden she knew her mom and dad were grieving. They, they were refugees, they just come from a war. They lost so many people along the way. And they were living in this really silent, hushed world and she could never have put her hand on it. But, but for this children's book that would come out, what, 20, 30 years after the fact, that was a response that I couldn't have prepared for. And then a friend of mine wrote, she said that she shared it with her boy, her four years old, and he looked at her afterward, and he said, Mom, let's talk about death. So lots of responses, I think necessary, essential responses. I know that when a book goes into the world, it will be read and interpreted as it is needed but the people who have written me have needed it desperately, I think. That seems to be such the power, particularly of children's literature, is where it's written a specific story. It might be written for a specific age range, but so often it's the adults in these children's lives who are reading the book to them. And there's so much to take away as an adult from the shared room. And I'm really sitting with with these stories that you've just shared of how it could be someone reading it who hasn't had a sibling die, and yet there's elements that speak to their experience of grief or their witnessing of their parents' grief or their family's grief or their culture's grief. I believe so profoundly how much of my life is first, you know, um, imagined, envisioned through the lens of a children's book. You know, I bake pies now, and I bake pies because a long time ago I read a book about a little girl who was sent to live on an apple orchard, who smelled apple pies for the first time. You know, and every time I smell an apple pie baking, I'm transported to that 
to that world that could not have included somebody like me. You know, Jack and Jill, the apple orchards and the dogs, the overalls and the curly pigtails. That was not my world. And yet it, it has made me who I am in so many ways. You know, I say that in the world of children's literature, I'm making a fire for the first time. You know, in the heart of somebody, I'm trying to pull the kindling blow in air so that a flame sparks and I'm hoping that the fire catches on for a lifetime. In the world of adult literature, most people who come to my books already come to my books with kind of a foundation. There is or isn't within them that fire already. If they're going to come, chances are it's kind of sparked and it's burning. Um, so the responsibility is different in the world of children's literature, but I think the immense gift is also different. Oftentimes, the emotional impact that you can make in children's literature is always surprising for your reader. Many of our books are silly, sometimes necessarily so. Most of the books about children's literature are joyful, you know, celebrations of life. But for me, incomplete, because life is everything else, too. You know, I say I'm a mother of living children. I'm also the mother of a dead baby boy. I mean, we think often of how a book changes those who read it. And I think, too, about how a book, in a sense, may change the author who writes it. And I wonder how the experience of writing The Shared Room has shifted your understanding of grief, knowing that you came to the writing of this book with so much understanding and knowing of grief for generations in your family, but just wondering in, in how writing that may have shifted your understanding or perhaps just from the stories and the reactions that you're getting from readers. So Jana, this book comes right at the tail end of what God has honored here. You know, writings on miscarriage and infant loss, fighting for Native women and women of color. I was reading all of these narratives, and then I had this manuscript that I've written, um, The Shared Room. In many ways, you're living out the nightmare of so many of the women in, in what God has honored here. The story continues. It grows, right? I have three little kids. One of my worst nightmares is something happens to them. That's my nightmare. Their nightmare is if something happens to me. In writing this book, I encounter that. I met that fear. Sometimes you write a book and you can feel it's making you stronger for the world that you belong to. It's making you better for the world that you belong to. And this is such a book. It's a tender little book. In my, in my eyes, it is an incredible love story. I know so many adults who are so afraid of talking about death, particularly the death of children, um, to the people who love the most, the people who some, in so many ways need to hear their names the most. I'm no longer afraid of that in the shared room. I met my biggest fear on the pages of that book. The book has made me braver, less afraid of the sadness, more comfortable with the sorrow. And you've provided such a gift to other people who carry that same worst nightmare fear to be able to read it and to sit with it and to to have some sort of scaffolding and, and wording for not only how to talk about death and loss with their children, but how to talk about it to themselves. And so often th th those fears don't have words or articulations. And so to have imagery and wording and a narrative to kind of encapsulate that it seems like such a gift to people. I hope so. I feel like every book is a gift. 
um, in the world of picture books, it feels immediately more like a gift, you know, especially when it's beautifully illustrated and presented, then you can, you know, when you offer it to somebody, it is that, it is an offering. So that is my hope, that this book will give parents and families ways of talking and, and navigating those turbulent waters. You wrote this book at a, in a certain time and place, and the book was released in a certain time and place, likely not one that you planned for in the writing of it, for it to be you know, published and put out into the world right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, right in the middle of the increased focus and awareness around the Black Lives Matter movement and around the uprisings against racism and racist violence. And I, I wonder, given all of that that has been occurring since the book came out, what are some of your hopes for the book moving forward? So this is, you know, this is my fifth book. The Shared Room is my fifth book. I never imagined such a silent entry into the world. Anybody who knows my work will say that most people don't find Kalkalia Yang, her name, or her books very sexy. I'm writing about refugees, Hmong refugees, working in the factories of Minnesota. I'm writing about these remnants of families, um, not, the, not your sexy headlines. Most people buy my book generally because they meet me. And for whatever reason, the number one comment I always get is, you're not what we expected. We came because we had hoped to, to learn a little bit more about the Hmong culture or the Hmong people. And every time those words are said to me, I'm, I'm often stunned a little bit. Am I not what you expected? Because somehow my name and the topics of my book have somehow limited my humanity my ability to reach the stories of your lives. You know, every storyteller in the world will tell you that when we're writing stories, it is the pulse of humanity that we're trying to feel. Whether I'm writing about photosynthesis or the light spectrum or just the smell of the grass in, in summertime, I'm trying to write you to you about the human experience of living, of life, as I know it. And so without the ability to meet my readers this time around, it's a much harder task that I have for them to pick up a book called The Shared Room, you know, where the drawings are so muted and realistic, where there aren't animals talking, where there aren't any magical you know, carpets that you can go flying on. But in some ways, I think this book comes out at an, an essential time. Now that we're grieving as a people, we're grieving as a nation, we're grieving as a world, no, more than ever, we need to teach our children about compassion, about understanding that the grief process isn't beautiful. It isn't joyous, you know, and yet many families are grieving. All you need to do is cross the street. All you need to do is open the door. All you need to do is see through the walls into those beating hearts to understand. This book comes at a time when it is most necessary. I haven't said this very often. I've been thinking it often. You know, when I was young, I said that I wanted to be a writer of the things that mattered. And today, I, I, I want to be a writer, a courageous writer, who would write the books that the world needs, even if it doesn't quite believe that it needs it from you. You know, the story of my life is that. It is about exceeding other people's expectations of me, so often so limiting. You know, who I have become and the work that I do, the kind of writing that I do. Everybody wants a beautiful book. Everybody wants splendidly, you know, happy story. But those are not the stories that I come from. That would 
be to take away from the joy and the pleasure there is in the life that I know, an imperfect life, an often painful life. And so more and more I find I'm becoming the writer that I, that I need to be. Do I want to be? Not all the time. <laughs> but our needs and our wants are different things. And I think the world needs my books, whether it believes it or not. And in that way, I believe that these books will live on long after I'm gone. You know, when the day is done, Kao Kalia Yang will have lived and written the books that she believed would make the world, will make the world a better place. Well, I'm grateful every day for, you know, the risks that you take in writing your books and, and to come forward in a way to avoid that disingenuous situation that can occur where we say, we're just going to write about the good parts. We're not going to talk about these other hard parts. And that, as you were saying, like the true joy really does come from having the capacity to live into both of those experiences and, and to think about them less in a dichotomy and that they often occur simultaneously, that there's elements of sorrow with our joy and there's elements of joy within our sorrow. And yeah, just thank you for the books that you're writing and, and particularly for the shared room and, and knowing that it, it is such a needed book and will be a doorway in for so many families who either have had a loss and need a way to talk about it or who can start working now to build that vocabulary and that awareness for when loss does occur, they don't feel quite so without any kind of anchor or foundation. So that's a really long way of saying thank you, Kalia, for all the writing that you're doing. Thank you so much for helping, helping send my voice further. So listeners out there, I know this is for many of you, the second time you're hearing from Kalia, and I will link in the show notes to the episode that Kalia and I did with Shannon Gibney, the co-editor of What God Has Honored Here. And I'll also link to all the ways that you can find the shared room in the show notes as well. Kalia, is there any other place that you would send our listeners to connect with you and connect with your work? Yes, I have two new books coming out uh, during this pandemic. And so they can find out, they can definitely find out more about my work and my forthcoming books at www.kaukaliayang.com, my website. Great. Well, I'll add that to the show, show notes as well. And Kalia, again, thank you for coming on the show and talking with me today. I always, as an interviewer, I get so caught up in what you're saying and then I'm like, oh, wait, I have to ask a question. So thank you for being part of the show again today with me. Thank you so much for the work you do. And listeners out there, thank you for being part of our community and for sharing the show with those that you think might be helped by it. If you want to reach out to me, you can email me at griefoutloud at Dougie.org. And if you're called at all to support our show and our work at the Dougie Center, you can donate to our efforts at D-O-U-G-Y forward slash grief out loud. And there's a large blue donate now button at the top of the screen. So thanks again for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you.